Okay, it is March 7, and we're going to be finishing up Daniel 4 today. Uh, John, would you mind starting us off in prayer, my friend? Right. Okay. Well, Father, we thank you for giving us wisdom and guidance with life's problems and our health. Thank you for our study time together today with you and uh, our brothers and sisters. And, uh, we just appreciate that. We love that. We love you. We praise you. And we thank you in the name of your son, Jesus, Father. Amen. 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 Uh, before we jump into Daniel 4, uh, just to let you know, we, we keep monitoring the uh, state and local COVID-19 restrictions on houses of worship. And I want to uh, put up on the screen here uh, one of the latest pieces of guidance that came from the state today. And I have purpose in, in doing this. Just again, um, let's see if you can. Okay. So at the top, we, we are still in the purple tier. I call it the purple penalty box. It's in the lowest tier there is with the most restrictions. And on houses of worship, and this is from this morning, this is fresh from the state. One of the restrictions, you can now sing and chant inside a church building, but performers singing, chanting, playing a wind instrument, or engaging in similar activities indoors must wear face coverings at all times. Now read that very carefully. Performers singing, chanting, playing a wind instrument must wear face coverings at all times. Now I've been playing trumpet and French horn for over 50 years now. Oh my word. It is physically impossible <laughs> to, to play a trumpet or a French horn while wearing a face mask. It is just, you can't do it. It's impossible. Uh, so well, I'm, I don't, sorry. I'm sorry. The other crazy thing is, is why is it wind instruments? Why why would you not? Uh, what you guys that play brass don't have to. No, we are a wind. We are a wind. Everything clarinets, reed instruments trumpets brass we're all wind and so oh. yeah uh right. so obviously you can play a violin with a mask on right the only problem is when you have a mask on it it affects a little bit of your peripheral vision down very hard to see the lower pages of music uh but anyway i thought it was interesting that they thought you could play a trumpet or a french horn or a <laughs> clarinet with a mask on anyway all right right Enough of that. So, I just, so that, was, that, that really so, was, a, I'm sorry. Sorry, that was a good laugh. Yes, <laughs> that was you. a good one. So anyway, we're not inside the building yet. Okay, well, let's get back to reality in uh, Daniel 4. And we may not, uh, we, we may be a little bit more brief today, depending on how long it takes us to get through this. But I don't want to get into Daniel 5 today because... There is a lot of history that happens between Daniel 4 
and Daniel 5 that we need to talk about before we actually open the scripture and start to read it. So Daniel 5 is going to take a lot of historical setting uh, before we actually open up the first verse. So we'll just finish Daniel 4 today, however long that takes, and then next week we'll begin uh, Daniel 5. Uh, let me back up just a little bit to review. Remember, King Nebuchadnezzar has now a second uh, dream, and he brings together all the wise men, you know, the sorcerers, the enchanters, blah, 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 brings them all together, and nobody can figure out what this dream means. And so a little bit after that, either Daniel volunteered or he called Daniel, we're not sure, but anyway, Daniel winds up in front of King Nebuchadnezzar, and um, he, uh, he, tells, he, he prepares to tell him the meaning of the dream. And again, as I pointed out last week, there's, you know, there's always been a special relationship between Daniel and, and King Nebuchadnezzar, even though King Nebuchadnezzar goes off the rails quite a bit. Uh, Daniel in his young maturity, of course, he's middle-aged man now in, in, by the time we hit Daniel four, but he's always, he always sees Nebuchadnezzar through God's eyes, not his own. And, and so there's a, and, and Nebuchadnezzar seems to respect Daniel if for nothing else that he's the only one that can, uh, interpret his dreams. And Nebuchadnezzar, as we go along, is starting to realize that Daniel's God is more powerful than any other God. And so anyway, Daniel, as he uh, prepares to tell the king uh, the interpretation of his dream, says, I wish the events foreshadowed in this dream would happen to your enemies, my Lord, and not to you. And so he's, he's very uh, gracious and I think very real about the fact that he really wishes that this dream wasn't about uh, this Nebuchadnezzar that has given him uh, first-class accommodations, that has elevated him to a high position of, of authority in Babylon, uh, who gave him three years of education. And although he, Nebuchadnezzar, excuse me, tried to stamp out and wash away the Jewishness. Uh, Daniel still holds fast to the true God, but he also sees that God has him on assignment and understands that duality, that he, he needs to keep his allegiance to God, his obedience to God, his love for God, while at the same time operating under the auspices of the, the pagan of all pagan kings, King Nebuchadnezzar. So uh, Daniel doesn't tap dance around this. He, he lays out the facts in verse uh, 24. He says, this is what the dreams mean, or the dream means, your majesty, and what the Most High has declared will happen to my Lord, the King. Notice he always brings God into it. He always uh, reminds Nebuchadnezzar, it is God who is interpreting, interpreting the dream, using Daniel to communicate it. Daniel never takes credit for this. So you will be, uh, verse 25, you will be driven from human society, and you will live in the fields with the wild animals. You will eat grass like a cow, and you will be drenched with the dew of heaven. 
Seven periods of time will pass while you live this way until you learn, until you learn that the Most High rules over the kingdoms of the worlds and gives them to anyone he chooses. But the stump and roots of the tree were left in the ground. This means that you will receive your kingdom back again when you have learned that heaven rules. So the message from God is clear. Uh, King Nebuchadnezzar, at the height of his rule, with much success and incredible power, still thought it was all due to himself, all due to his own cunning, to his own intelligence, to his own ingenuity, to his own shrewdness, and not due to the hand of the Most High God of, of Daniel. Now, the seven periods of time mentioned in verse 25, we hit upon that last week. Let me just remind you, in the book of Daniel, the word time in its singular use means a year. So seven periods of time means seven times one, seven years. And we'll get into the use of that uh, later in Daniel 7 when it weaves into the Revelation uh, story as well. All right, verse 25. Uh, he will defy the Most High and oppress the holy people of the Most High. He will try to change their sacred festivals and laws, and they will be placed under his control for a time, times, and half a time. Okay, now that quote, if I wasn't clear, there is from Daniel 7, Daniel 7.25. And I'm just using that quote to show uh, when he talks about for a time, times, and half a time, Time is one year, so that's one year. Times, in this case, means two years, double, so that's three years, and half a time, which is a half a year. So it's three and a half years, which is half of what? The tribulation period, right? So all the dots are, are going to connect uh, for us here shortly. All right, let's, uh, let's go back now to Daniel's interpretation of the dream, verse 27 in Daniel 4. Here's a powerful statement from Daniel to King Nebuchadnezzar. It's a direct statement that, in my opinion, comes from years of developing trust, giving Daniel the right, so to speak, to address the king in the way he's going to address him. Verse 27. King Nebuchadnezzar, please accept my advice. Stop sinning and do what's right. Break from your wicked past and be merciful to the poor. Perhaps then you will, be continue, you will continue to prosper. Notice there's an if-then agreement here, an if-then message from God. It's conditional uh, to Nebuchadnezzar. If you've stopped sinning and you do what is right and break from your wicked past and you're, you be merciful to the poor, then perhaps you will continue to prosper. So it's if then. It's a conditional agreement between God and Nebuchadnezzar. If you do this, then I will allow you to be this. So there is a pathway to restoration, and I think this is one of the most significant things. We're dealing with a um, a monstrous personality in King Nebuchadnezzar. And yet, God provides a pathway to restoration. 
for all of humanity, God always provides a pathway to restoration. And that's significant. Always has been that way. Always will be that way. So there's a pathway to restoration, whether King Nebuchadnezzar understood it, whether he's willing to do it, that's a, it's going to be a whole nother matter. Now, notice God's timing here in terms of his judgment upon King Nebuchadnezzar. A year passes. So Daniel interprets the dream. He says, King Nebuchadnezzar, here's the if-then clause. If you do this, God will do this. A year passes. Nothing happens. And perhaps I'm wondering if King Nebuchadnezzar thought by that time that, well, maybe, maybe God forgot. Maybe he's not the God he said he was. Um, maybe it's not going to happen. Maybe Daniel was wrong. Well, verse 28, though, tells us not so. But all these things did happen to King Nebuchadnezzar. 12 months later, a whole year later. So God even gave him a whole year to straighten up and fly right uh, in terms of restoration. 12 months later, he was taking a walk on the flat roof of the royal palace in Babylon. As he looked out across the city, he said, look at this great city of Babylon. By my own mighty power, I have built this beautiful city as my royal residence to display my majestic splendor. And at that point, God touches down. Nebuchadnezzar has had a year, and now he's announcing, it's all me. I am the quintessential narcissist, and I love it. All right. So while these words were still in his mouth, verse 31, a voice called down from heaven, O King Nebuchadnezzar, this message is for you. You are no longer ruler of this kingdom. You will be driven from human society. You will live in the fields with the wild animals, and you will eat grass like a cow. Seven periods of time will pass while you live this way until you learn that the Most High rules over the kingdoms of the world and gives them to anyone he chooses. So it's an exact summation of the interpretation that Daniel gave to King Nebuchadnezzar. And he's sharp enough, he's bright enough, he's intelligent enough that he's, he's making the connection here. So now what's getting in King Nebuchadnezzar's way at this point? Why won't he accept the if-then proposition to restoration that God has, has given him? Uh, is it ego, stubbornness, unwilling to acknowledge in terms of walking his talk that Yahweh is indeed the true and only God? Not sure what was going on in his head. We can only see the result. A year later... After the dream is interpreted, King Nebuchadnezzar is bragging about his accomplishments while walking on the flat roof of his royal palace, and God steps into the story, and he basically gives him the same message that, uh, that Daniel gave him. All right, so let's listen to uh, how King Nebuchadnezzar later relates this. After this time had passed, Seven periods of time will pass while you live this way 
until you learn that the Most High rules over kingdoms of the world and gives them to anyone he chooses. That's seven years, that's seven periods of time. Verse 34, after this time had passed, I, Nebuchadnezzar, looked up to heaven. My sanity returned, and I praised and worshiped the Most High and honored the one who lives forever. So after those three and a half years that Daniel prophesied, as God was speaking through him, Nebuchadnezzar looks up to heaven, his sanity returns. And this is what he says. This is amazing. <clears throat> Nebuchadnezzar says this. His rule, God, his rule is everlasting, and his kingdom is eternal. All the people of the earth are nothing compared to him. He does as he pleases among the angels of heaven and among the people of the earth. No one can stop him or say to him, what do you mean by doing these things? So at the end of um, seven years, King Nebuchadnezzar makes these statements, which become public and which acknowledge that Daniel's God is God over everything. He's eternal. He's all powerful. No one can be compared to him. His will is sure. He's omnipotent, and he cannot be stopped from exercising his will upon the earth. So God is true to the promise that he made to King Nebuchadnezzar. He, he's true to the if-then proposition. When my sanity returned to me, so did my honor and glory and kingdom. So in verse 36, Nebuchadnezzar testifies to the fact that God was good to his promise. He fulfilled his promise. When my sanity returned to me, so did my honor and glory and kingdom. My advisors and nobles sought me out, and I was restored as the head of my kingdom with even greater honor than before. Verse 37, now I, Nebuchadnezzar, praise and glorify and honor the king of heaven. All his acts are just and true, and he is able to humble the proud. That is an amazing turnaround, don't you think? And this yeah. is not something where he's going <clears> to <throat> fall off the rails again. This is King Nebuchadnezzar doing a complete 180 and accepting God's if-then proposition. From all indications, it was valid, it was true. In all, King Nebuchadnezzar reigned 43 years over the Babylon Empire, or the Babylonian Empire. That was from uh, 605 B.C. Remember, that was about the time that Daniel was captured, 605 B.C. to 562 B.C., his reign of uh, 43 years. Not only did King Nebuchadnezzar repent of his wicked ways and turn his life around, but he humbled himself before God apparently divesting himself of his polytheism, because what we see here is a monotheistic testimony. So apparently now he's given up on the thought that there are other gods, and he's now realizing after spending, you know, seven years out there in the, uh, in the wilderness eating <coughs> cow food, boy, that would bum me out. I mean, I might be tempted to eat one of the cows, but not what they're eating. 
Anyway, not only did he repent of his wicked ways, but he humbled himself because of God. And, and because of that repentance, God then allowed King Nebuchadnezzar to expand and to unite the Babylonian Empire. What happened after this was that Nebuchadnezzar expanded the empire even more. And God allowed him to do that as a result of King Nebuchadnezzar fulfilling his, his part of that if-then proposition. So chapter four here ends on a very positive note. The repentance and the restoration of King Nebuchadnezzar, who continued to praise and glorify and honor the king of heaven. And the, the Hebrew syntax here is, is interesting, by the way. It was not a just a one-time acknowledgement that God is the king of heaven. The, the nature of the, of the Hebrew syntax there indicates that, <coughs> excuse me, King Nebuchadnezzar went on in continuous acts of praising the God of heaven. It was not just a one-time thing. He kept on praising and singing the praises of the God of heaven, of acknowledging God as, as the only one true God, Yahweh, Daniel's God. So the point here, I think, you know, for us is that nobody is ever beyond restoration before God. The opportunity is, is always there. We may give up on people, but God doesn't. The opportunity to accept that if-then proposition is open to everyone. And it's a reminder uh, to us to be wary about judging others too harshly. Uh, because God may have them in an if-then proposition of their own. We don't know. I want to kind of round this out with uh, a quote from Psalm 91.9. If you make the Lord your refuge, if you make the Most High your shelter, no evil will conquer you, no plague will come near your home, for he will order his angels to protect you wherever you go. They will hold you up with their hands so you won't even hurt your foot on a stone. You will trample upon lions and cobras. You will crush fierce lions and serpents under your feet. And the Lord says, here we go. I will rescue those who love me. I will protect those who trust in my name. When they call on me, I will answer. I will be with them in trouble. I will rescue and honor them. I will reward them with a long life and give them my salvation. And it also, this whole scenario with, with Daniel and, and King Nebuchadnezzar's turnaround, reminds me of Silas <coughs> and Paul. Remember that? They're thrown in jail in Acts 16, and then there's a mighty earthquake, and it shakes open the, the doors of the, of the cells. And uh, the jailer who is keeping them under guard, he's now fearing for his life. And the jailer in Acts 16, 29 says, he called for the lights and ran to the dungeon and fell down trembling before Paul and Silas. Then he brought them out and asked, sirs, what must I do to be saved? And they replied, believe in the Lord Jesus and you will be saved along with everyone in your household. Sometimes we make this so complicated. You know, they have to say the prayer right, or they have to attend our congregation, 
or they have to do they have to do a perf, some kind of performance. God says, no, I'll meet people where they are as they are, and all they have to do is believe. Believe in the Lord Jesus and you will be saved. So if God can use this crazy, mixed up, narcissistic, narcissistic, violent, unpredictable, shrewd, egocentric King Nebuchadnezzar to speak truth into a pagan empire, then we must all understand that God can be in the process of restoring anyone in front of us. And the life of soul and soul of even the most unlikable or unpleasant person in front of us, they may be going through that if-then proposition with God. We never know. And so it's a reminder to me anyway, as, as I encounter people along the way, that um, I need to remember to look at them through God's eyes, not through my own filters, because my filters can be skewed. But if God can reform Nebuchadnezzar, which he did, uh, in all of Nebuchadnezzar's weird, wicked ways, then God can restore just, uh, just about anybody. So I think that the whole message at the end of Daniel 4 is, is as powerful today as it was, uh, you know, probably some 4,000 years ago or so. All right, so there we go. The uh, surprising unpredictable, almost nonsensical ending to Daniel 4, King Nebuchadnezzar comes around to being a child of God. And uh, so anyway, uh, we'll conclude with well, that. And, and I want to thank you all, by the way, again. I have a question. Can yeah, I ask let me, a question? Let me, you can after I finish my thanks. Okay. I want to thank you all for voting to go through Daniel. I know I kind of pushed back on that mildly at the beginning. I am so glad we did this uh, because the, the life lessons here are just absolutely tremendous. So uh, I appreciate all of you saying, yeah, let's do Daniel. You were right on the money. Okay, Lori, you got a question. So chronologically, how long had uh, Nebuchadnezzar served as king about this time? He's gone for seven years. His son, I think, takes it, doesn't he, Belteshar? Um, well, yeah, and, what, what, but he has trouble with it. And then when he comes back, how long is he in power? Well, he he completes uh, the 43 years. Um, it's kind of hard to tell where this actually fits because we're not totally given it. Um, okay. We think about. Oh, let's say. This is towards the end of his uh, empire. You think, uh, you know, remember Daniel taken captive around 606, 605. That's when Nebuchadnezzar actually becomes the emperor. Uh, he is now in control of the, of the empire. Uh, so then you have uh, three years added to that. So we're in uh, 606. And um, about, oh, I don't know, 40 years. It, it, it is really towards the end of Nebuchadnezzar's life because there's a long period before, uh, between Daniel uh, 3 and Daniel 4. So we're at 
we're near the, nearing the end of Nebuchadnezzar's uh, life. Again, his his rule as emperor forty three years, and so uh, I can't put an exact date to it, Lori, but it it is towards the end of his life, uh, and and he he does not come back after this. Um, and what happens, and the reason we have to take some time in Daniel five. <laughs> is because there's a very convoluted history that unfolds between Daniel 4 and Daniel 5. And, uh, the, and it's in, there, there's intrigue, there are assassinations within the family, uh, there are some good rulers that follow from Nebuchadnezzar's family, and then there are just nasty ones, and the one we're going to see emerge in Daniel 5 is, is one of the worst. But there's actually uh, at least one that's that's a uh, uh, benef uh, beneficial uh, ruler. But it, it gets really convoluted, and if you don't read it very carefully, it's a little confusing as to who is a grandson, who is a son, uh, etc. So we'll we'll ferret that out next week. It, it really is very convoluted. Um, but anyway, to answer your question, I can't put an exact date on it. But what we saw just transpire at the end of Daniel 4 is nearing the end of Nebuchadnezzar's life. But there's enough time there that he expands the, the kingdom as well. So I'm, I'm thinking, you know, at least a few years. All right. Any other observations or questions? Oh, there you are. Okay. No, <laughs> I'm good. Uh, no, it's just interesting for sure. He's an interesting character, that Nebuchadnezzar. And then, so we'll have to see what the following chapter you know, is. And, and there's a lot of confusion uh, by, I mean, some people think that the writing on the wall had to do with Nebuchadnezzar. It doesn't. It has to do with a new ruler in uh, in chapter five. Some people think of Nebuchadnezzar and all they think of is his horrible acts and his horrible nature. They don't think about or didn't bother to read about or didn't register as they were reading it that Nebuchadnezzar did a complete turnaround and became a, a follower of God. And, and that's why God rewarded him. So, you know, this is why it's important for us to plod through this uh, a little bit carefully so that we don't miss those nuances that, that a lot of people do miss. And what's so interesting, you know, his son, as we'll find out, I mean, he witnessed all that in his father, yet he digressed. <laughs> he Hard hearts. He, yes, yes. Hard hearts. And, uh, well, and there are some mm -hmm. women in the background as well, and their contributions to all of this is, are, are very interesting as well. So, again, we'll probably spend the first... Uh, 15, 20 minutes of next week, just going through the lineage, making sure we know who's who, how they fit into the picture and all of that. And then, then we'll look at the intrigue in family, in, in house assassinations and all of that. Very interesting. All right. So uh, we'll finish a little bit early today in case, or unless there's any other questions. Oh, I have just one. I have yes. a question. Um, this is so elementary, I don't want you to laugh, but here I go. I, you know, we're talking about this kingdom of 
of Nebuchadnezzar, where if we were to go to a map today and put our finger on where he was during that period of time, where would we be exactly? You would be uh, about 50, 60 miles uh, south of present-day Babylon, uh, present-day uh, Baghdad. Baghdad, okay. Mm -hmm. Yeah, right, thank you. So if you, yeah, so if you look at Baghdad on a map and uh, just kind of trace down, I think, uh, in a southwesterly direction if i remember right that's where ancient babylon was it's no longer and it's where it will be rebuilt during what we study in, in the revelation time so yeah it's in iraq and uh south about 59 60 miles south of uh south of baghdad that's where his headquarters were the babylonian empire uh was was fairly huge for the time and i i don't have a map to, to give you right now but um you know it was it was it, it even extended i believe into into parts of east india or, or uh you know which which is pretty amazing so but the headquarters uh not not a bad question at all sandra headquarters were in south you. of modern day baghdad yeah Thank you. Okay. Thank, I, that, that goes against my head. Word. I, at least I kind of got a little direction here. Thank you. Okay. All right. Um, all right. Very good. I'm just reading a text here. Okay. Let's, uh, let's conclude then for today. Uh, we got out a little bit earlier. That's good because I'm going to go horizontal here shortly. <laughs> that was a long night <laughs> all, all right for you <laughs> all right let's see um how about uh sandra would you like to close us in prayer today i sure will Good. dear father we just want to give uh thanks for the opportunity to learn about daniel and we uh ask that um all of us will enjoy this particular study that we'll be able to go and uh, really believe that, uh, you know, we are protected in our ways and the things that we do during the coming week. We ask for your protection and your joy and your substance to guide each and every one of us. We thank you for this study. We thank you for everyone in it. In the name of Jesus, we pray. Amen. 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 Hey, thank you, everyone. Great. Uh, and then I'll be gone for the next two weeks. I'm going to be in North Carolina celebrating my granddaughter's first birthday next, next Sunday. <laughs> and then the following Sunday, I'll be flying the friendly skies home. So there you go. Good. Well, Lord, we just ask you to give Brenda safety in her travels and just great joy in the destination Amen. as she visits uh, with uh, family and, and this, uh, beautiful granddaughter and lord we just uh, again pray for for connections that will be made on time if if there are connections and safety and travel and uh, good health uh going to and and coming back from in jesus name amen thank you yes i'll be All near right. your daughter no I'll visits near your, the... yeah i'll be near your daughter in washington on the way uh to north carolina and then i'll be in denver near near Lori's brother on the way home <laughs> there you go right thank you and for the no prayers visits to the, 
no visits to the no hospital, hospital visits. No, no, no hospital no. visits. No, no hospital no, no, no. visits. Uh-uh. All right, guys. Thank you. All right. Thanks, weeks, everybody. Okay. All right. Bye bye. Take care. Bye bye. <laughs>